Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Success Harbor Podcast with George Mazaros, where it's all about making success happen for you. Hi, everyone. This is George Mazaros with Success Harbor, and I have Eric Grosset with me. Eric is a serial entrepreneur, an inventor, and an investor. Eric is the co-founder of ZipBuds, an audio company that patented zipper-integrated cabling for headsets. Although Eric had stepped down from his daily activities at ZipBuds, he's still an owner, investor, and deep supporter of the company. In 2013, President Obama has recognized Eric as a top 100 entrepreneur under 30. Very excited to have Eric on Success Harbor today. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me, George. Thank you for being here, Eric. You have graduated from business school in 2007. Um, it was not exactly the best time to graduate from, from school. Uh, what, what happened at, at that point? Did you immediately start a business or, or did you get a job? Uh, what happened after graduating from business school? I'm so glad you brought that up, George, because uh, 2007 was the absolute worst time to graduate from business <laughs> school. So um, not only was nobody hiring, but everyone was firing. So there wasn't much opportunity there. Um, so I decided it was a I've, – I've kind of been – even before um, graduating school, um, had a bunch of entrepreneurial um, uh, attempts and experiences that I, I can dive into a little later. But um, I, I, my business partner, uh, Rob, who's uh, the president of ZipBuds, um, I had always been bouncing ideas off of him, and 2007. How did you How did you meet uh, Rob? So Rob, I've actually known since sixth grade, and uh, oh wow, yep. Um, <laughs> and so we we've been longtime um, friends, and and um, and we went to middle school together, we went to high school together, and we went to the university together. So, so I want to get into ZipBuzz, but uh, you know, on your website, I I also read that you know you started a business at a very early age. Uh, can you talk about your first uh, experience as an entrepreneur? Sure. Uh, all right. So we'll, we'll, we'll go back even further then. Are you talking about selling Kool-Aid? Yep. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, um, Kool-Aid, uh, it was, uh, a, a, a summer, a, a rather hot summer in Chicago as they typically are. And, uh, as a, a seven year old, um, the Super Nintendo had just come out and uh, I really wanted one. So I asked my mom if she would buy it for me. And she said, absolutely not. And I said, why not, mom? I really want a Super Nintendo. And she said, well, because we can't afford it. And I said, well, can I get it for a birthday present or something? And she's like, no, you're going to have to either buy it yourself or uh, find some other way. And I said, well, what can I do? And she said, maybe you should sell lemonade, thinking I probably wouldn't. And uh, <clears throat> my dad overheard this and he thought it was pretty funny. So he wanted to let it see where it went. And, uh, so I said, all right, mom, let me do it. And she said, well, you can't cause we don't have any lemonade. And I said, well, what can I sell? And she said, well, we have Kool-Aid. And I said, okay, well, can I sell some Kool-Aid then? And so, um, she's like, sure, you can sell Kool-Aid. And so, um, she helped me make uh, a first batch of Kool-Aid and my mom being the wonderful mom she is made Kool-Aid the good way of putting about half, uh, gallon of sugar in the Kool-Aid. So it was nice, <laughs> nice sugary Kool-Aid. Uh, and as I was walking out the door, my dad caught me and he said, well, where are you going to sell the Kool-Aid? And I said, uh, I don't know, just outside. He's like, well, no one's going to buy it from me if you just sell it outside. 
So I said, well, where should I sell it, Dad? And he said, well, there's a construction site up the street. You should try selling it to them. And I said, that's a great idea. So I started walking outside with my Kool-Aid again, and my dad stopped me again. And he said, you can't go sell that Kool-Aid. And I said, why not? And he said, because it's warm. So I said, okay, well, what can I do? And he's like, well, put it in the fridge and come back, uh, sell it tomorrow. So the day passed. Uh, I waited patiently. And the next day I, I was walking out the door with the Kool-Aid and uh, ice cold this time. And uh, it was early in the morning. And my dad stopped me again. And he said, uh, you know, you, you can't go out at this hour. He's like, no one wants to buy Kool-Aid. He's like, wait till lunchtime when it's really hot and then sell them the Kool-Aid. So once again, I waited and uh, I finally left it at lunchtime, walked over to the construction site and uh, and caught one of the construction workers' attention. I said, hey, would you like to buy some Kool-Aid? And he saw the uh, obvious um, moisture coming off the Kool-Aid. He could tell it was ice cold and he said, sure, kid, I'll try it out. Uh, how much is it? And that was a question I hadn't planned for yet. So um, just quick thinking off the top of my head, I said, you know, how about 50 cents a glass? And so he obliged uh, and he found that the Kool-Aid was rather thirst quenching, being mostly sugar and uh, cold water. And uh, so he called some buddies over and before I knew it, within a couple minutes, I had sold out of that gallon. So um, the construction worker said, you know, kid, we need a couple more gallons. And I said, all right, I'll be right back. So I went back home and I said, hey, mom, they really loved it and uh, I need some more. And she said, well, you're going to have to learn how to make it yourself. So she taught me how to make the Kool-Aid and we made a couple more gallons. And I was trying to take them out the door again the next day, but I found that I could only really carry as a seven-year-old uh, one gallon of Kool-Aid. So I... Uh, my dad caught me with the uh, again, and he, he's like, "All right, well, um, let me help you out." And he he got me a wagon, so we uh, fixed the wagon up, and it could take about five to ten gallons at a time. This first run, we took five gallons, um, and he put a little sign on the side to help me with my marketing. So it said um, "Kool Aid for Sale." And so I left that day at lunchtime and uh, got back to the construction site and the eagerly waiting customers were ready to buy. And uh, this time they asked how much per gallon, which was a new question for me. So I had to, uh, once again, just random thinking as a seven-year-old, I said, how about uh, $10 a gallon? And uh, to my surprise, they immediately agreed to it. So sold them those gallons and uh this kind of went on for, for a couple weeks, and um, I made enough money for a Super Nintendo and many games and uh, enough to, to put uh, about $500 in the bank towards my future college. Uh, That's great. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 it's interesting because, <clears throat> you know, some might, you know, dismiss it like, you know, it's just a simple, you know, lemonade stand or Kool-Aid stand. But, you know, if you think about it, it really, you know, includes everything you need to know about business. You know, it has, it has, you know, it has to do with marketing and your costs and, you know, timing and how to sell and when to sell. And, you know, it includes basically everything that you would need to start any kind of business. Definitely. It was a great first lesson in entrepreneurship and, and likely why I continue to be an entrepreneur these days because my parents helped me with that experience. You know, I got to uh, learn about a local market and uh, costs, like you said, um, marketing, 
everything that you could possibly think of about being an entrepreneur. It's a great first lesson. Yeah, and also listening to people that are trying to give you advice. You know, I mean, you don't want to listen to everybody, but uh, you know, and, and when you're seven, you know, almost everybody knows more about <laughs> right. anything than what you know. So, you know, I think that's also very important for for entrepreneurs or people that want to be uh, an entrepreneur. Is to, you know, to find find the people that you can learn from. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's 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 really uh, a good story. And what was the? Um, did you do any other businesses before uh, starting? Uh, uh, zip buds i did a lot of other businesses before zip buds uh we can dive into those what, what was the most substantial business before zip Buds that you have done um it would be it's kind of a tie i, I had two pretty major businesses before zip buds um one in high school uh, um was a website that I made for a game called Ultima Online, which is like the great-grandfather of massive multiplayer online role-playing games, MMORPGs. So like before World of Warcraft, there was this game, Ultima Online. Mm -hmm. And um, the premise of the game was you have an avatar which represents yourself in an alternative world, which is kind of medieval. And, and um, this game came out, it was the first of its kind, where tens of thousands of people could interact with each other online and do different quests and stuff like that. And uh, around the same time, we had just moved here um, to California and Poway specifically, and it was the first, uh, one of the first cities in the whole world to get broadband internet. So we had a cable modem installed and we were playing this game and we found that uh, my brother and I found that we were much faster than everyone else, and we could uh, run circles around people. Develop Simply because of the, the increased bandwidth. Correct. Okay. Yep. So we um, found that uh, we could uh, develop skills faster than people. We could uh, achieve goals and missions and quests faster than people. And we also found out about bugs faster than people, problems with the game. So, um, for instance, if you were on a, a server line, you know, that takes many multiple servers for these games and, and uh, you could stand on one side of the line and you could drag gold over it and it would take a second um, for that to register on the other side of the server. So it would actually duplicate the gold, creating one on one side and one on the other. So, um, you know, we shared this with a couple of people in the game and they said, wow, this is great. You know, you're finding out about all this stuff. Uh, you should make a website about it. So. I talked to my dad, and he kind of helped, once again, lead me into making a website. And um, on that website, I would list uh, the problems with the game. And, and um, people started, to my surprise, uh, and this is before Google, started uh, quickly coming to the website and saying, hey, you know, uh, you, people would probably pay for these. And I was like, wow, how, uh, how can I get people to pay for these? And so I, I uh, made a members only section of the site that if you either gave um, a bug that you had found or if you donated anywhere between one and ten dollars and um, I said send it to my house in either cash or a cashier's check and I told them if they were sending cash wrap it in uh, a paper towel so the postman wouldn't steal it <laughs> that's great and so people started sending bugs and so that was kind of my source i didn't have to find them myself anymore so it was kind of a, a self so you had uh, user generated content exactly. immediately yep and then uh, to my surprise starting the first week people had started sending in money and i also gave them the uh, option of, of donating the money too so they could pick a charity if they didn't want to give it to me but you know more often than not i would say three times out of, out of four they would they would send me the money instead of a charity which was 
a little bit mind-boggling for me, but um, I did end up um, donating a lot of money to charities because of this. But the interesting thing is because of this, I wanted to find out how you could accept credit cards online. Well, during that time, the only people that accepted credit cards online were adult websites. <laughs> and what year was this exactly? This is probably um, mid to late 90s. Okay, so, you know, between 95 and... And, and 99, yeah. So yeah. Um, I get with one of these providers who can accept credit cards uh, uh, for the adult websites, and, and uh, they don't know that I'm 16 at the time. I was actually probably 15 at the time. And uh, I just kind of fudged my way through the application and, and um, ended up pitching on this idea. said, you know, I got this site. People are already paying me money. If I could accept credit cards, they would pay more money. And somehow the application gets approved. All right, great. Get it set up. I can accept credit cards. The very next day when I was accepting credit cards, I made $1,000 that day. Wow. So as a – How old were you? I, I'm thinking I was 15 and a half at this time. That's not bad to make $1,000 a day when you're 15. Definitely not too bad <laughs> at all. But uh, to my surprise, it continued for uh, several days until it started dying down to a normal amount of, say, three to $500 a day. So um, as any good 15 and a half, 16-year-old would do with this money, uh, quickly went out and bought as much crap as I could, uh, bought a brand new Mustang, um, Bought. At 15, you bought a Mustang? Yeah, brand. Did you have a license already? Uh, I had a learner's permit and uh, intention to get a license. Um, okay. I bought as many things as you could possibly buy off of eBay in terms of uh, sports memorabilia, autographs from celebrities, various trinkets, and as many crummy laser pointers as money could buy. What about your parents? Did they tell you not to, or um, were they okay well, with they, the spending? They, they were completely unaware of how much okay. I was making. And, and Oh, really? Uh, so they had no idea no how idea. much more. And wow. In fact, at one point, I had bought a, a motorcycle and was parking it up the street and was uh, driving that to, to high school completely <laughs> without their knowledge. Wow. Yeah. And, um, you know, so things went on. And then eventually, I, um, I think probably two months later, I told my parents and, and uh, they kind of flipped out on me and they said, you know, do you know what taxes are? Do you know what like what do you have a business and there's liability and legal stuff? And and um, so. You know, being a, a young kid, I, I had no idea about this stuff, and they kind of helped link me up with a few people that pointed me in a, a couple directions. But ultimately, I, I uh, had to kind of relinquish the the power to the, of this website to a, um, a third party, and uh, that was great and all because I was just collecting checks and having to do none of the work. Um, but unfortunately, when you, as so often entrepreneurs do, relinquish uh, power to their own business, sometimes it can have a negative impact. And for this, uh, the competition caught up quickly. They saw the opportunity. They overcame our small website and uh, ended up putting us out of business relatively quickly. So that was uh, a major lesson in entrepreneurship, uh, not giving away control. And uh, So who did you give control to? So um, there were some very loyal uh, members of our kind of forum part of the website, and so there were some volunteers that offered to take uh, care of the website in addition to some, some paid people that we picked up um, who were kind of just really loyal members of the website. Mm -hmm. And so passed it along to um, one paid guy and then three volunteers, and then just kind of the website quickly quickly went under from there. And um, it was a wild ride and fun while it lasted, but it, it, uh, it, it 
it gave me a lot of uh, lessons and uh, a lot of uh, material goods, and um, it, it was a, it was a fun time. But I thought, you know, maybe I should go back to doing what normal sixteen year olds do and, and get a job. So I, I uh, went and got a job at a local uh, Target store. And didn't you feel a little stupid after making a thousand dollars a day working at Wal uh, Target? Um, a little bit, you know, not as much as I should have. Because it's funny uh, that you say that that you know I should do what a normal sixteen year. Why why would you want to be normal when you were making three to five hundred dollars a day? And I'm not saying that you know you're a genius or it's, you're better or whatever. But I mean, normal is not necessarily the better thing, is it? No, uh, and it takes time for you to realize that, and certainly a, a high school kid doesn't realize that. And you have to remember, like the time period it was in, kind of the the mid to late '90s, where um, it was very unnormal to be on computers and um, part of the internet. I mean, not too many people were even on the internet, and so I literally never even explained to my friends how I was making money or where the money came from. They probably just thought that I had really wealthy parents. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But so you, you went to get a job. You mentioned there, there were two substantial businesses before ZipBot. So what was the other substantial business? So uh, I got a job and uh, Target and then obviously uh, took some uh, humility from that and did my time uh, at the minimum wage for a while. And and thought, you know, maybe I should try this uh, entrepreneur thing again. So early in uh, the university, uh, online poker was starting to become very popular, um, Texas Hold'em specifically. And um, I was a huge fan of it. I play it with my friends. There's a couple local Indian casinos that we would occasionally go to and, and play cards there. And uh, it was just much more convenient to, for you to be able to play it at home. So uh, came up with an idea for a website that would teach kind of poker strategy and, and let other people talk to each other on forums and stuff. And um, at the time, um, these big poker websites were paying affiliate referral fees. So um, probably either to the tune of, of 50 to to $100 per person that you would refer their way, or you could get a, a profit-sharing percentage of, of what um, their table rake was. So um, I think... I think for the majority of them, I took the the quick money, um, and it was a website, and it's still still around today. Uh, tips the number four poker .com. So tips for poker .com. You can mm -hmm. check it out later. Um, but and it's still making money for you? No, no. I'll get to the, that point too. Um, so it was great. It was going really well. Uh, I was probably making the neighborhood at its height, maybe. $10,000 to $15,000 a month, which for being in college, once again, is really awesome. Sounds uh, pretty awesome, yeah. Keeping in my theme, I, I bought a brand new Cadillac, so that was uh, pretty awesome as well. And a couple other toys. And um, by the way, cars are really bad investments. <laughs> <laughs> but you do like Cadillacs. I do. Uh, I do. Uh, I've seen on uh, Twitter uh, you were posting, I think, uh, the other day about uh, one of the one Cadillac. I, don't, I forgot the model. Yeah, the new ATSV. I am a huge fan of Cadillacs, but um, I'm more of a fan of making money in entrepreneurship these days than than cars. But uh, to come back to that story, um, I knew online poker was about to be banned. It was just all all the writing was on the wall. The legislation was 
in motion and um, there was murmurs about it everywhere. So uh, I decided to sell the website. And so I, I um, there wasn't very many places to sell a, a website um, during this time. Flippa didn't exist. Um, so the best thing I came up with was uh, selling it on eBay. So I, I put it on eBay and uh, it ended up selling for, uh, I think, uh, $55,000 and uh, a nice payday. Um, but the problem was the online poker didn't get banned for another year and a half. And, um, the person who bought it ended up making significantly more than what they bought it for. So it was a great investment for them. But again, taught me another great entrepreneurship lesson about exiting too early. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I thought once again, maybe I should go back to doing what a normal college student does. I mean, obviously I'm at this point, I've learned a lot and I'm very interested in entrepreneurship and still quietly pursuing some ideas that I had, but um, you know, I'm getting close to the end of my college career at this point. So I was exploring some internships. So I interned for, um, Dell computers and also rockstar energy drinks, which was two great experiences. But, uh, again, reminded me that maybe the everyday normal job is not necessarily the job for me and kind of brought me back to entrepreneurship as well. Did the recession. Yeah. It's, it's funny because, uh, you know, you had, you had a lot of success but at the same time, you weren't really think of it as your future. You know, you, you I mean, at least, I don't know if I understand you correctly, but you, you were kind of thinking somehow that this was not normal and the normal thing is to go and get a job as opposed to further pursuing your entrepreneurial uh, future. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty correct assumption. And um, I think it also has a lot to do with there wasn't a very big spotlight on entrepreneurship. It wasn't cool to be a part of startups when these this was going on um no one really encouraged you or um really took you under their wing and and taught you business stuff i mean everyone i knew was for the most part and this is why i defined it as normal a you know regular everyday working person so Mm -hmm. they didn't have much advice or places to point me to um there was no entrepreneurship classes at the time Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, it was it was a very I don't it wasn't a cool thing back then. So it was difficult Mm -hmm. for me to focus. And had I been able to focus on those, those would have been two great opportunities, too, that could have been, you know, much bigger businesses than they were, given how much I was able to make with the Mm -hmm. limited resources that I had. Yeah. Yeah. So meanwhile, you uh, you graduate from from school. Yep. Um, 2007 uh, business school and um, let's talk about uh, zip buds or did you go and get a job or did you go into entrepreneurship immediately what, no, how, how did it go down immediately this is a great bring back to that story so uh, it was 2007 and it just so happens the iPhone was coming out so I'm one of those thankfully, because all of the toys that I've bought in my day, one of those uh, super technological guys. And and, uh, I heard the iPhone was coming out. It was going to be sold for an, at that time, exuberant price of $600, which was like unheard of for a cell phone. So I stood in line. And at that time, it was a very small line because no one really cared about the iPhone. And in fact, most people thought it was going to flop. So I think maybe there was 20 of us in, in line that time. And uh, got the first iPhone, and I'll never forget playing with it and doing pinch to zoom on Google Maps. And I said, "This is going to be the next big thing. I've got to make something for this." And so I kind of racked my brain and uh, 
said, you know, what, what can I possibly make to go along with the iPhone to ride the popularity wave that's going to come with this awesome device? And um, the big thing in those days was uh, iPod docks. You know, um, everyone was buying these little JBL um, iPod docks. And the problem with um, the iPod dock and its relation to the iPhone is that the iPhone works in two different orientations, both uh, portrait and landscape, whereas the iPod itself just works in portrait. Uh, and also, um, the iPhone has uh, various radio radio antennas in it. So um, it would cause uh, radio frequency interference when you would place it next to speakers. And, I, and uh, this was specifically a big problem with um, um, pre-4G technologies. So um, anything 3G or, or um, uh, slower than that was, was uh, ripe for interference. So I don't know if you ever put your phone next to some speakers probably two or three years ago now, it would get really horrible crackling interference noise. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. um, I knew from some engineering experience and, and um, some basic research that it was fairly simple to um, shield against the, the radio frequency interference. Actually, aluminum makes a, a great shield against this. And so uh, we kind of uh, came up with a, a concept for what we call live speaker. And it was um, a speaker system that would work both portrait and landscape and be shielded against radio frequency and also be ultra portable. And um pitched this idea to Rob. He thought it was awesome. We told a couple of close friends and family about it. They thought it was awesome. Um, came up with a couple hundred dollars and I got some 3D concepts made, um, I think using um, uh, probably uh, Elance or um, one of those um, uh, freelancer websites. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, this 3D artist put this all together for us and Showed the concept around to some people uh, beyond family and friends. They thought it was a great idea. So uh, there was no real crowdfunding available at that time. That could have completely changed this idea. But we decided to put um, the idea out on the Internet after placing a a provisional patent on it and put it out there. It ended up getting picked up by some major tech blogs. um, Engadget, which was the biggest tech blog at the time, picked it up and – all the comments were super positive. Everyone said, you know, I'd love this. Uh, this would be perfect for my new iPhone. I would buy this in a second. And so that validated our idea, um, our market. Uh, and so we were able to raise some investment from there. And then we uh, had to figure out how to get it made, which is a story I could go on for an hour about getting a, a physical product made. But we ended up getting it made, and it was the number one seller on Amazon.com that Christmas for iPhone audio accessories, which at that time was a really small category. So it wasn't the hugest feat, but it was a big feat for us. And we sold, um, you know, in close to a hundred thousand of them overall. But the problem with um, speaker docks is that they cost a lot of money to make. Um, they have lithium ion batteries, which presents a number of transportation issues. And um, there's not much room for, for profit, especially when you have, you're competing against manufacturers who are making hundreds of thousands, millions of, of, of them, you know, every month. And you're doing it a hundred thousand over the course of a couple of years. <laughs> so yeah. um, we, we liked consumer electronics and we kind of took a look around and well, what's making money in consumer electronics. And at that time, skull candy was really um, handing it to the, the earphone headphone industry by just putting colors on it. 
uh, on mm-hmm. earbuds. And so we said, you know, we can we can do this. And uh, you kind of once again, the writing was on the wall. Everyone was starting to put colors on earbuds. So we said, no, nah, we can't just do that. We have to we have to give a bigger value proposition here. So so what can we do? And it's, you know, the most obvious problem in the world is everyone experiences their earbuds getting tangled up. Well, why hasn't someone solved that yet? And that's the real question that most people got stuck on is, is why hasn't anyone solved this problem yet? And it's a lot more difficult than it would seem to solve this problem. And, uh, you know, you can look on the internet and there's literally hundreds of, of attempts of various things that you add on the earbuds or someone that did a unique little twist here or there, but no one ever got it quite right. And so we kind of locked ourselves in a room and, uh, pitched, you know, probably a couple hundred different ideas and came up with the idea for zippered earbuds. And it was combining two things people are already familiar with, the zipper and the earbud, and making one superior product. So everyone who touched the product would instantly know how it worked and what problem it solved. And it resonated really well. And once again, this is pre-crowdfunding, so we weren't able to raise money to um, via crowdfunding to do it. So we had to raise money um, locally to do it. And um, luckily, the idea really caught wings, and it's uh, been going really well ever since. So how long did it take you to kind of go from idea? You mentioned that you lock yourself into a room until you came up with this idea of combining two, you know, known uh, technologies, so to speak, into something that is greater. Um, Was it a matter of days, weeks, months? Uh, It was definitely months, um, if not a year or more, because um, it's not as simple as I made it seem that to combine two objects. there was a long, long, long period of prototyping and going back and forth and, and how we actually uh, get it manufactured. And then once we developed those processes, it was getting two individual factories, both which are happy making their respected goods, the zipper factory and the earbud factory, uh, to work together in unison to make one new product that neither of them have ever made. And um, all the other challenges that come along with that. So it was um, a huge feat, especially considering how few of us there were uh, working on this. And uh, it was a a long journey, and it's still ongoing, I would Mm -hmm. say. Every product can continue being perfected, and and now we're on basically what is the fifth generation of of ZipBuds, and they've, they've come a significant way from where they started. So, so what were some of the biggest challenges uh, early on? I mean, let's say, let's say, you know, you came up with the product. Now you have a product that you're ready to go into manufacturing. What were some of the biggest challenges at that point? Ah, well, it's hard to pick which are the biggest because all of them are massive. Um, but I, I mean, physical products is a really tough space, and I think that's kind of. Uh, an interesting thing about entrepreneurs, anytime you find us in a room, we're all jealous of each other's business because we don't know everyone's problems. We just hear about the good stuff, the the, the fun stuff, the uh, financial rewards and, and uh, stuff like that. So, you know, I might be talking to a friend that has a software business or 
um, a software as a service business. And I'm like, wow, you have the greatest business in the world. I'm so jealous of you because you have it easy because you don't have these problems. And then I might list my problems. They say, no, you've got it wrong because you don't have these problems. They start talking about churn and exactly. <laughs> you know, yeah. other things. So yeah. there's no simple business out there is the real answer. And every business has major challenges. And, and for this business in particular, it's all the challenges that come with being a hardware business but compounded because it's a unknown brand new startup hardware business. So, um, you know, all the typical problems, which is, you know, logistics, uh, distribution, marketing, uh, you know, it's, it's all the traditional problems that big businesses that have dozens of people that are working on each of these problems as a group, except there's, you know, several of us working on every single problem. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how did you get your first customers? Uh, that's a good question. Um, we, because of LiveSpeaker, we had had a little bit of um, a little bit of reputation. Um, we had built uh, some pretty decent sized email lists. Um, social networking was just starting to come into play. And um, through that, we were able to help spread the word. So um, at CES is when we announced the product and CES, the, world's largest uh, trade show, consumer electronics show in Las Vegas. Um, we were promoting our live speaker and then, and our big announcement was that we were doing zip buds. So um, word got out from that. Uh, we got some significant press from that. And then um, because it was such a unique, cool idea, we were able to garner a lot of organic press. Um, so not press that we paid for, um, so we, we actually ended up on the Ellen DeGeneres show. That was our, our first mm-hmm. big um, landed press, and uh, that helped get the word out significantly. And and uh, Ellen has fiercely loyal fans that are willing to uh, try anything that she says. And thankfully, the, a lot of them gave um, ZipBuds a, a shot, and this was um, around the holidays some years back. So that, that helped significantly. And, and um, I think if you have a, a product that's worthwhile um, – the word spreads fairly significantly friends telling friends uh, mouth, word of mouth mm-hmm. and yeah. uh, that's that's been the biggest thing uh, for us and uh, it's great because our product kind of advertises itself too uh, anytime you see someone wearing a zipper and earbuds it, it kind of clicks in your mind and um, if you search zipper earbuds or zip buds if you put that together in your head uh, you know, will pop up and um, it's it's a self-advertising product and that's kind of one of its greatest strengths. Can you think of maybe one, uh, one mistake that you have made that would be a good learning experience for our audience? I'm sure there are many or <laughs> yeah. more than one, but, uh, but some, something that comes to mind, you know, right away. It's tough. Like you said, I mean, there's so many that it's hard to pick just, just one. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, it could be about manufacturing. It could be about marketing. It could be about maybe a customer service issue. Yeah. I, I mean, um, I think a, a big problem is once you start to experience success, um, there's a lot of people that are attracted to success. Uh, a lot of salespeople specifically that that uh, will start hitting you up and, and pitching all these great services, right? Mm-hmm. And 
salespeople being the, the great salespeople they are, are going to promise you the world. Okay, this, this, this product I've got can solve this, this, and this. You, you have this problem that can solve this, this, and this. And not only that, it's going to scratch your back while you do it. Wow, that sounds <laughs> great. I'll sign me up. I'll take five of them. And, and uh, you know, the problem is, is that the salesperson isn't the actual product. And when you get the actual product, it does, you know, maybe 10% of what that sales guy promised. Now you go to call Joe salesman and, and he says, Oh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. You know, you got to talk to our customer service about that. And, uh, and, uh, you know, you got to talk to John and technical support about that. And it's just <laughs> disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. So it's not necessarily to say that every salesperson that you approach has a bad product, but in my experience, I've found that the, the products that, that most people are pitching you after you are successful are not necessarily going to be ones that are going to work out for your favor. Instead, I've found that products that you yourself seek out and vet through various processes are the ones that will successfully solve those problems that you were hoping that the salesperson's pitch would solve. You have uh, you have uh, mentioned uh, in, a, in an email as we were preparing for this interview that you have uh, kind of stepped down from the daily activities at uh, Zipbuds. When was that, and and why why did you uh, make that choice? Uh, it was at the end of June. I stepped down uh, from Zipbuds, and um, it's going really well, and it uh, is headed in a cool direction. And uh, you know, I've got a lot of fun things going on in my life, um, starting a, a family over here. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I think the business is flowing pretty good. So uh, I'm just going to let it keep going. And, and uh, you know, I, I really trust and believe in the leadership over there. So I'm just going to we're going to keep on trucking in, until we reach the end of the road. So you are primarily uh, focusing on uh, family and you're not doing anything with business at this point? Not at this point. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I kind of am goofing around with a couple different ideas and, um, and basically, I mean, entrepreneurship's my passion. That's pretty clear. Um, I am very fascinated by podcasts. So thank you for having me on, uh, it's kind of my dream and aspiration to, to have a podcast one day. So I'm, I'm learning from you here, George. Um, and I, I just like, learning about entrepreneurship um, sharing my experiences with entrepreneurship, uh, hearing other people's stories, trading war stories. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's fun. It's, uh, <laughs> I don't think I'll ever retire because it's that fun. In uh, 2013, uh, President Obama has recognized you as a top 100 entrepreneur under 30. How did that happen? And congratulations. Oh, thank you very much. So, um, as I was just alluding to, I'm, uh, you know, uh, absolutely obsessed with entrepreneurship. And so I'm a part of, uh, several entrepreneur circles. And through that, we kind of all, um, get together and, and share unique experiences and do fun events and, and stuff like that. So this, uh, group in particular is called, um, the Impact, uh, 100. And um, it was uh, nominated um, for us here. And uh, it just so happened that they had a relationship with the White House. And um, so we were invited to go speak at the White House. Actually, not speak at the White House, just go there to accept an award. And I think there was maybe like eight people who were, were, were to speak at the White House. And um, 
they said, you know, we might have one extra spot if you're interested. And I said, oh, I'm definitely interested. The problem is, though, it's the White House. And I didn't really expect to speak there because who would drop out from speaking at the White House? And so I, <laughs> I didn't really prepare anything. So I had no uh, expectation of speaking there. And so at the very last second, they said, you know, we've got um, room for you to speak if you're interested. And I said, oh, of course. And so then I was kind of in panic mode, like oh, I got to come up with something really quick to speak about. But luckily, I'm, I'm pretty good um, coming up with something on the fly. And so everyone in front of me uh, had like a two page script of, of the absolutely perfect things to say at the White House. And um, they were all practicing their last minute practices and, and uh, they all did a phenomenal job. And it comes to me and, and uh, you know, just kind of half out of being scared, half out of wanting to break the ice. I, I went up there and said, uh, my fellow Americans. And uh, luckily it went over really well and people responded comically thank thank god uh and then just from their uh, response it it gave me uh kind of the inspiration and, and drive to to kind of build off of that and just to just talk and 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 I, I gave a really great speech at the white house and yeah I, I thought you did a good job i actually saw it on your uh on your website so oh thank you um uh, i thought you did a good job uh, i just have one more uh question before we uh, uh close here if uh, if you had a friend or maybe somebody in your family that that currently had a job but saw your success as an entrepreneur, and they say, um, you know, Eric, you know, I, I want to become an entrepreneur. What do I need to do? If you could teach that person one one skill, what what would what would that skill be? Probably to listen. Listen. I think listening is the best skill an entrepreneur can have. Um, Recently, I, I traveled to Iceland and um, I was talking to a group of entrepreneurs out there and, you know, we were talking about what, what is entrepreneurship? And uh, I heard the best uh, definition of entrepreneurship I've ever heard. And uh, it was my friend Hakur and he says, uh, you know, entrepreneurship is about sounds. And I said, well, what do you mean, Hakur? And he says, uh, anytime you hear someone struggling, anytime you hear ah or ooh or ah, I hate this or frustration, that's an opportunity. That's a problem that needs to be solved. That's a chance for someone to fix that. And I just thought that was absolutely brilliant. And, you know, more people can learn by listening than they can from just taking spontaneous action or coming up with uh, uh, ideas that's already been done and, and not doing the due diligence on it, you know. I love I love the problem solving part and I love the silence part and actually I, if I remember correctly you were talking talking about it at the White House when you spoke is being an entrepreneur is about solving problems if I uh, if I recall it correctly. That's correct and and um, you know that's the biggest thing is that there's so many problems that can be solved. I mean I can look around the room right now and give you several examples, but the example I used at the White House is one that resonates with people. I mean. You look around and you see senior citizens or, or disabled people with a walker, and what's at the bottom of the walker? Tennis a tennis balls. ball. Yep. <laughs> now, a tennis ball cannot possibly be the best solution for this, and it's not the most beautiful solution either, and it's not very dignifying to, to people to have to look down at tennis balls for the last few years of, of their life. You know, and, and walkers themselves aren't very um, industrial-designed objects you know there's there's a lot of opportunity out there and and um you look at stuff like uh the medical industry or or um 
or even the automotive industry. Was, the automotive industry was very slow moving until a disruptor came along like Tesla. And what do you know? Everyone's catching up at light speed now and we're getting amazing new cars every year because of the work that Tesla put out there. Now, the medical industry is still slow moving, but, you know, it's ripe for disruption and there's some interesting things coming along, but we'll see. Well, Eric, I really appreciate you coming on Success Harbor today and, and share your story and, you know, congratulations to all the success you've had and I wish you much uh, more success in the future. How can people connect with you or find out more about you? Thanks, George. Uh, it's been a pleasure to be here. I really hope your audience is able to learn something from this. Um, and I love connecting with people and fellow entrepreneurs, people that have questions about entrepreneurship. And you can reach me on Twitter at Eric Grosset, or you can connect with me on LinkedIn, Eric Grosset on there, um, or my website, alwaysbeupgrading.com, where I'm just kind of uh, playing around with a couple different things and seeing, seeing what uh, an audience is looking for. It's a little bit about entrepreneurship, a little bit about making money online, a little bit about saving money online. So check it out. Let me know what you think. Sounds good. Uh, I'm going to have a link uh, to your to your site in the show notes, and uh, hopefully you can come back sometime in the future and talk about your next uh, next adventure in business. That would be my pleasure, George. Thank you very much. Thank you, and thank you, everybody, for listening. Bye.